good journalist should submit to the complete experience. Drink bubble shock, Miss Smith. Drink deep. Live from the HMSC spite, this is Doctor Who Podshot. Post Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock episode 65 for the week of January 29th, 2007. My name is Ken Deep alongside Mr. Lewis Trapani. Hello. And way across the pond, Mr. James Naughton. Hello. And now we're going to jump very quickly in this week's episode into the newsroom. Hmm, what's going on? Uh, I guess the biggest thing of note uh, is the fact that uh, Sir Derek Jacobi is going to be joining the cast of Doctor Who for Series 3. So it's awesome. And of course, oh, uh, there's. Making a, a guest appearance. Yeah, making a guest appearance. Um, but of course, back in, uh, I think it was, what, 2002 or 2003, uh, he played the role of, of the master in uh, mm. the webcast, Scream of the Shalka. He did. A terrific job there, and of course he's a he's he's a very very high profile actor. Um, he's uh, he a very very talented chap. Uh, the Doctor in one of the Unbound uh, series of Big Finish, where they have alternate actors playing the Doctor, and, and he was uh, he played the Doctor in one of them. Oh, it was actually was uh, it was a pretty good one. Um, I was kind of expecting something a little bit different, but it was still uh, still. I always liked the Unbounds. I liked the idea of what if. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that makes Doctor Who brilliant is that you can play the game of, well, what if we made a woman a doctor? Or what if we had David Warner or Derek Jacobi as the doctor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those that are not familiar with the Unbound series, as the, the name sort of implies, it's it's not bound to the canon that was established of Doctor Who you know, through the TV series. So um, in the Unbound Big Finish series, they can explore, you know, various different um, aspects of the character or the format and, and change things mm-hmm. a bit to make alternate it... reality. Yeah. If you can think of it maybe as alternate universes, uh, I think in, in comic book um, um, canon, that's what's, that's what's done. They, they have all these alternate universes to explore different... Ca- you know, make their characters different without changing the... Well, I guess Doctor Who's done that too with the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much taking its nod from comic books in order to pull that off. But yeah, it was a great idea. Well, I was just going to say that he's going to play the part of uh, the professor. Of it. Not he's not been named yet his his character name, but uh, apparently he's caught in a desperate bid to save the human race. Um, There's something we'll you never doctor. see on Doctor Who. Of course, it's strange, isn't it? It's uh, an original story. But I do know, going back to Lewis's point, I do know that he's he's been in things like I, Claudius. I, yeah, um, I just remembered what I was about to say. It, it was Gladiator that I was going to comment that maybe many Americans may not know him, but if they saw the movie Gladiator, he played um, 
Jockis, if I'm if I'm pronouncing the name right or not, but he played a character in in that movie, and I know that was a very popular film in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And around the world. Yeah, I know, but I was just trying to tie it into maybe uh, U.S. audiences that have not heard his, you know, that aren't familiar with his name. Hmm. So then, I guess that kind of wraps it up for that news story. Brief, but uh, good. Uh, and thanks for filling me in about the... Uh, I didn't realize that he was part of uh, the Unbound series, but uh, I really should pick up those big finishes. I, I need to, to delve more into those. Anyway. Well, uh, in, in another casting rumor, uh, we have a story about Britney Spears. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Which just you sounds don't... to me like rubbish. Yeah, I was just about to say, you don't seem to think that this is yeah. entirely uh, authentic. I think it's crap, and and uh, I was saying in pre-production, I said if if Russell T. Davies would like to uh, to have a representative of the United States of America, uh, Britney Spears would not be our first choice. Mm-hmm. Or a second. Or a second, indeed. <laughs> yeah. But uh, according to Yahoo, um, Britney Spears has been offered the chance to play a group of sex-mad aliens on, of course, Doctor Who. And, Does uh, this so sound she's, she's any, playing herself? any bit credible? Well, he, he's, he, <laughs> Russell T. Davies is, is quoted as saying, I'd love Britney to do it. It would be so much fun. I'm not so sure she'll come to Cardiff where the show is shot, so I'm nagging the BBC to fund a Hollywood special. Um, but obviously how serious, serious the quote is, we... We can't obviously say he might have been joking or Ken joked earlier in pre-production. Yeah, he may have been out of drunk. A pub. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, he's had a premiere. He's had a few champagne, glasses of champagne. The next thing you know, a reporter stumbles up to him and says, "So, what do you think of Britney Spears?" "Oh, I like Britney Spears." You know, "Oh, what would you think she should, she should be in Doctor Who?" "Sure, I'd love to have her in Doctor Who." "Please, this is not happening." "Please." Okay, well, yeah. In all fairness, even though I don't think there's any comparison, but there was all this um, hoopla about um, about Russell T Davies um, casting this um, similar um, singer called Billy um, what was her name? Billy Piper. <laughs> no, nah, nah, there's a difference. And, and, so there's you never difference. know. You know, well, first she, off, he we've got already a lot of flack about Billy Piper. We've already established that Britney Spears can't act. That's the first thing. Well, okay, I, Billy Piper is Can't argue there. Okay. <laughs> we don't even know if she can sing. I don't think she can. But also, I think something that I think this can be filed firmly in the rumor department because, of course, it was the, I mentioned it was a, a story that ran on Yahoo. But before it was on Yahoo, the story I think uh, appeared in uh, the wonderful pinnacle of, of UK uh, press, the the Daily Star. So mm. being such a quality paper and all, and, and not a tabloid by any stretch of the imagination, um, I think that that puts a stamp of 100% authentic on it, but but hey, I think it's it's a rumour, just as the whole um, Jason Statham rumour is about he's going to play the Doctor, and who knows, maybe Britney Spears will be the companion in the in, series. In 1985, Eddie Murphy was going to be in Star Trek IV. Okay, <laughs> we, we saw how true that was, right? Okay. Move yeah, on. I'm remaining skeptical, but um, it's just because the only reason why I think there may be a hint of truth in this is that, as uh, uh, Russell has been quoted, but even then it could be taken out of context or 
Uh, we don't know how serious the quote is. He may have been joking or, you know, I haven't seen any footage of this. So, uh, yeah. And, of course, I don't think there's been anything on the, the main uh, official site about this. So I think we can kind of uh, file it off as a, as a, as a pretty much a, a ludicrous rumor. <laughs> well, I like my rumors to be ludicrous. Okay. We've spent way more time on a Britney Spears involved in Doctor Who story than anybody should ever do. Indeed. Uh, so moving swiftly on, this is a story which has sparked some uh, interest in our forums over at uh, Podshock.net uh, in, a, in, a, in a thread called Too Much. Um, but it's essentially, the, the BBC uh, has announced that there will be an animated form of Doctor Who, a cartoon that's being produced which will air as part of, of Totally Doctor Who in the coming year. So Totally Doctor Who, just for those of you who, who aren't aware, that was a, a program uh, on uh, the children's BBC, uh, you know, uh, an afternoon uh, television time slot that has uh, programs for kids so that when they come back after school, they can watch, sit down and watch telly or whatever uh, while they're eating their tea or whatnot. And... Um, Totally Doctor Who was, was like a, a companion show, like a fan show of, of Doctor Who. Um, but the, 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 the greatest thing about this is that David Tennant and Freema Adjuman will, will voice the Doctor and Martha in this story. Um, Anthony Head, who of course played uh, Mr. Finch originally from School Reunion, he's going to play uh, Balthazar, the Scourge of the Galaxy. I'm sure I've, I've heard that name somewhere before. And... Um, <laughs> Toby Longworth, who has also played lots of roles in, in Big Finish uh, in the, the audio dramas, is also scheduled to, to appear, appear. It's going to have 13 parts. Uh, it's going to be an entire single story called The Infinite Quest. But it doesn't seem to me to be infinite if it's only in 13 parts. <laughs> um, but uh, Russell T. Davies describes the story and says, uh, The Doctor and Martha follow a trail of clues uh, across the wild and wonderful alien worlds to find the location of the legendary lost spaceship, the Infinite. The story ah. is written <coughs> by Alan. Yeah, I was just thinking that the story is written by Alan Barnes and directed by Gary Russell. So, of course, as as uh, Ken has very nicely echoed there, <laughs> no, this no. does seem to be something similar along the lines of, I mean, of the Key to Time the or Trial of the Time Lord. A quest. I mean, that's the he's, he plays the hero role. The hero always has to be on a quest. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and and I like uh, you know Gary Russell. I like the the, um, the people behind the scenes. You know, I, I have a lot of confidence. And I love the idea of it being animated. A, a few stills have appeared on the official site, and I think it looks great. I'm yeah, really the artwork excited is really it. nice. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it too. It's stylized. It's nice. I, mean, I can't wait to see um, to see it. And it's going to be these short little animated segments. Just to be clear, um, it's not a new series that's being launched. It's a. It's going to be. It's within another series, an established series called Do Totally Doctor Who, as uh, James has already mentioned. So um, these are going to be little shorts, sort of like um, I, I guess if anyone's seen the the. Um, the Star Wars um, holiday special had a short within that, or more recently, um, Clone Wars started off as like little five-minute animated segments that episodes that were on uh, at least in the U.S. on the on the Cartoon Channel, the Toon Channel. Um, yeah, Cartoon Network, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. But that's right because in our forums, there's been a bit of uh, controversy saying, you know, is all the time we're asking, is it too much with all the spin-off and stuff that's coming out now with Torchwood and Sarah Jane and 
and and now this, I think that people were worried, but I'm not worried. I'm quite excited. Now, yeah, it's quite. I, what what I'm very excited about is that they're going to be exploring wonderful alien worlds, not Earth. Hopefully, wonderful alien worlds, and have they have no more excuses about budgets or whatever. Uh, it is an animated uh, feature. They can do. They can go anywhere they like, and they don't. They don't have to be, you know, um, chained ball and chained to the planet Earth. Hmm. Because one thing that I enjoyed w uh, when I was growing up, um, I really loved uh, the animated series of Star Trek. Mm. Um, yeah. I even liked, I go so far to say, and this might cause some controversy, I enjoyed it more than I actually enjoyed um, Star <laughs> Trek, uh, the actual series itself, because they could do things in it that they couldn't do on the main show and, and that just weren't believable. And, well, and they had an alien... Um navigator and some things that they couldn't pull off back in the yeah exactly yeah. and they had this I, cool like screen that you'd be able to go down onto planets that would keep you safe like a shield or whatever so that you'd go down to well, non-oxygen rich atmospheres stuff I can like speak for Lewis both he and I picked up the new release back in I think it was late November or early December the uh, yeah, I still uh, Star Trek animated came out on DVD I haven't cracked open the seal on that but I, I still have you know I have them on Laserdisc and before that they um, recorded them on VHS, and um, they're, they're great stuff. You know, and that was um, the, that's when audiences first got. And this is from 1973, and this is when um, when the audience first got um, a first glimpse of the holodeck on the Enterprise because they couldn't do that in the 60s, and but they mm. could they could do that in an animated series. Mm. Mm. And, so it's know, really cool. In general, I've always I've always had a a very positive opinion of. Uh, live action science fiction being done in an animated form. I, I agree with Lewis. I enjoyed the the Star Trek animated series and and the Clone Wars. I thought they were were excellent, um, well written, and and you had a chance to explore some things that you might not normally bring to the big screen or to the small screen uh, mm -hmm. in a live action setting. And I thought that was fun. And I'm really looking forward to the Doctor Who one. Again, it's short, uh, but when you put them all together, it will form a, a cohesive story. Uh, it's not a another spin-off. It's part of an existing series, which brings you know brings uh, it'll bring some focus to that series. I think what happened was probably that this um, this extra Doctor Who show wasn't getting uh, the kind of attention that they hoped it would. You know, especially with the, we have Torchwood and Sarah Jane now, and and on and on. Um, this will this will point some adults towards that series because mm. mm. I know I, I'm. I'm Kind of speculating with with James and Lewis, but I know that I just kind of took it. Okay, it's a kids Doctor Who series. It's probably pretty low on my on my radar, and now it's mm. right up there on the top, actually higher than Torchwood. Well, <laughs> just for those that you know, again to fill in people that that may be, you know, in the dark about it. Um, and and James, I'm hoping that you can help me with this. Is uh, totally Doctor okay. Who was sort of like a. Um, aimed at children, but it was like like a, a Doctor Who news magazine television show, but with a children's yeah, it slant. was it was kind of like um, Blue Peter meets Doctor Who sort of. Yeah, basically, I think they had the, the even the presenters of of Blue Peter doing it at the, at the time. Um, but yeah, what you've given is pretty much an accurate description. It was kind of like a, a, a almost like a, they do interviews with David Tennant and, and the Doctor and so on. Um, but it was basically designed to accompany um, the series in kind of like in the way that the confidentials mm -hmm. would, only, as you say, more of kind of like a magazine style and, and really directed only to children. 
Um, and I think it, it was it started um, at the earlier this year. Actually, it seems longer than that, well, but it was oh, between last year. <laughs> we're, we're last year. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's yeah. okay. I just yeah, I'm, I can't keep up with things. But yeah, I, when I was thinking, is that what I mean to say is that it was sandwiched between um, the first the 2005 series and the 2006 series. So maybe oh, so starting around it the didn't run in It didn't run. It in ran conjunction? in conjunction. Oh. It did run in conjunction. But I, I, if my memory is right, I, I might be wrong about this. But I think it started just before the series itself yeah, started I think you're right, to yes. kind of spark off yes. some interest yeah. from kids and get a, 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 a base to remind people that, of course. It was it was continually going, but it was it was quite long running. I think it ran throughout right to the end of when um, Doomsday the, the, the second series finished. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm if I'm right, I hope mm -hmm. I am, but I haven't done my research on this one. But I mean, what we have to remember also about this um, is the fact that you know we have a situation where the uh, uh, Doctor Who has had some terrific cartoon-based webcasts. Which I don't know about you guys, but I really look forward to those. And I was, you know, because at that time mm. it was a situation where there was no Doctor Who on television, and to be able to 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 have something online that you could access from anywhere, um, and that would be that was just really terrifically animated. And, and I'm wondering because it's in from just from the look of the stills that are on the official site and stuff. Um, it looks very much in the same style of animation as Scream of the Shalka. It looks like it's been done by um, Cosgrove Hall, which also who also did um, things like the um, the invasion. Uh, you know the the extra scenes mm -hmm. they did it in, yeah. in animated form. So I'm thrilled about this, and um, I don't think that it's too much at all. We had spoken past shows about Eric. Um, I'm sorry about uh, Christopher Eccleston appearing in the the science fiction series, science fantasy series Heroes, and uh, I believe it was this past week. I haven't seen the episode yeah. that yeah. he had made his appearance, and and now news is that he'll be joining by another Doctor Who alumni, Eric Roberts, will be uh, joining um, the series or, or will be guest starring in the series. But is he really a Doctor Who alum? I mean, also no. he played the master, but is he, he really? Played, he no, played. He, I, <laughs> and which leads me to a reminder about Gallifrey One. The he, Eric Roberts will be not only be appearing in Heroes, but will be appearing in Los Angeles at the Marriott Hotel in on February person. in person on February sixteenth and through eighteenth of this year at the Eighteenth Amendment of Gallifrey One. He'll be joining Colin Baker, Caroline John, uh, Terry Malloy, Jeffrey Beavers, Maggie Stables, and a host of other people from Doctor Who and a Lost bevy. in Space and um, a bevy, if you will. Yes, and that a goes bevy. along with Jeff Jeffrey Be Beavers. So keeping the whole bee thing going. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still working on my first cup of coffee here. So a, I don't know if you you I know, you, I, you said you didn't catch Heroes. No, but, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I I was told it, that the, well, the only thing that was Go ahead. I'm sorry. He he only appeared in the last two minutes. Did he really appear? Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, no, okay. Uh, from what I understand, and I hope I'm not giving anything away. I haven't seen. Spoiler it. alert! Spoiler <laughs> alert! Is that that he can be seen by one character, but not by anyone else? So the yeah, audience, well, the viewers, be seen by me. I, yeah, you're not a character on, on the show. So <laughs> 
<laughs> Unless we got more news, Ken Deep is now appearing in Heroes along with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doctor alumni Eric Roberts and um, no. <laughs> so it, it just uh, you know it was this whole build up to Chris Eccleston being in Heroes, and they milked it, milked it, and milked it, and he showed up in the last two minutes. Well, and, yeah. and they got me the to case. watch. 58 minutes worth of television to see him for two minutes. Oh, I, I had to sit through how much of um, of um, Harry, Harry Potter just to see David Tennant for like three minutes. Mm. <laughs> but this is what YouTube was invented for. You know that yes. guy. So you can just go there and type in heroes, Christopher Eccleston. I'm sure there'll be something there about it. But hey. <laughs> oh, dear. So do we have anything else in the, the newsroom worth reporting? Oh, isn't that enough? <laughs> I think so. I think we've probably uh, bored everybody to tears uh, already. I know, I'm but... crying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but well, from... we'll, be, we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Podshock. <laughs> this is Eugene Washington, and you are listening to Doctor Who Podshock. Next time on Doctor Who. This is all a bit posh. Marquees, live music. Thank you all for coming. You know how much it means to us. He must really love her. He does. A funny thing happened on the way to the garden party. There's something not quite right here. Hello, hello. Thank you all for coming. You know how much it means to us. A funny thing happened on the way to the garden party. You right there, Gordon? That's just deja vu, isn't it? Thank you all for coming. You've materialised us inside a time loop. Forcing my hand, Doctor. Your journey ends here, time traveler. Lucy, you made me remember. Close your eyes, Lucy. Where are you, Lucy? You made me remember. Give me your time. Lucy! Doctor Who, no more lies. Thank you all for coming. Yes, it's all time loops and whacking great stomping aliens next week in a story that co-stars the super smooth Nigel Havers and Julia McKenzie. That's next Sunday at 6pm and midnight. Followed by another trip beyond the vortex where, once again, they'll totally fail to explain the mystery surrounding Lucy Miller. We're back with Doctor Who Podshock. Last week, we dug into our vaults. We got a uh, fabulous interview with Sophie Aldra that we played, courtesy of Joey Reynolds, and we want to thank Joey once again for that. And we're going to be thanking Joey once again because we're going back into the vaults once again and blowing off the um, the proverbial dust. <laughs> Not that this is a dusty interview, but um, obviously it's an interview that, that dates back since, um, unfortunately... Um, this is an interview with John Nathan Turner, and, for, and unfortunately, he's no longer with us. And uh, um, so we're going to, um, for your listening pleasure and some insight on um, one of the um, most well-known Doctor Who producers, there have been several, but um, I think most fans will recognize the name um, John Nathan Turner, or sometimes known as JNT. And um, this is uh, Jory Reynolds interviewing John Nathan Turner. I just want to start the interview more or less, um, more or less tracking back some 25 years when, uh, when, when you got involved as a, 
as, as, a, as what the Americans would call a gopher. Um, uh, when you first start with a Patrick Troughton story, the space pirates, um, going back, um, what would, uh, in regards to the atmosphere, when, when you worked in that story, um, how did you find the production, the production team in that story in comparison to the one when, when Barry Lutz was producer, uh, with, uh, with the ambassadors of death, which was your second one? Uh, and, and what elements did you take from that when you became producer back about 13 years ago? Uh, well, when I first worked on the show, um, it, it was in the role of floor assistant, the most junior member of the production team, um, basically a kind of glorified call boy, um, main responsibilities being getting the actors on the set at the right time. And um, the very first uh, show I worked on was uh, with Patrick Townsend as the Doctor and subsequently two other stories with John Pertwee as the Doctor. Now, the thing about the role of the floor assistant is that basically you're working on the floor. You don't have headphones. You don't hear what's going on upstairs. Uh, You're only aware of what's going on on the studio floor. And certainly it seemed to me that what was going on on the studio floor was very much um, more fun um, on the on the Patrick Troughton show. There was a tremendous atmosphere of um, naughty schoolboys almost um, with the late Pat Troughton and Fraser Hines and, and Wendy Padbury um, all goofing around the whole time, being serious when it counted, of course, for the last major rehearsals and the, the final take, but a tremendous amount of fun. Now, that's not to say that when it came to working on the Pertwee shows, they weren't fun. They were just not as funny. Um, I think perhaps um, the, the technicalities of the show undoubtedly had, had become greater. The show had moved over into colour, which required a greater uh, kind of concentration in terms of those particular areas. Um, so that's my, my chief memory of the differences, is, is uh, one of, of Pat's era, which, you know, was towards the end of, of Black and White in Doctor Who, being a, a real laugh, and, and John's um, era being... Um, a little more serious in its uh, approach from upstairs. Taking that knowledge, when um, when the BBC gave you the producer's post in, in 1979, you had already proved yourself uh, very well as a production unit manager with all creatures, great and small, and and uh, with Doctor Who under uh, with Doctor Who rather under uh, Graham Williams, I believe, who uh, who passed away who passed away recently. Um, did you know what you were going to do from the start, or were you kind of uh, surprised about uh, the, the new responsibilities that were taking shape with uh, the Tom Baker stories coming to America, uh, the big surgeons in American fandom, and uh, in, in regards to the fan consciousness in America? I, I think if you're you're kind of um, hoping that something will happen. Um, like you're hoping that you're going to be offered the opportunity to take over a show like Doctor Who as producer, I think you tend very much to um, have very, very tentative plans indeed, um, because I think the whole time perhaps you're expecting disappointment and, and the fact that it's not going to happen. So I had made only a few um, initial kind of thoughts as to what I would do um, if I were to be offered the mantle of responsibility after Graham Williams. Um, it wasn't really until I actually took over the job that I, I really sat down seriously to, to kind of appraise what I actually wanted to do. I think it was a case of, you know, tempting fate too much if I'd got an enormous list before I had actually got the job. With hindsight being 2020, considering what's happened over the past 10 years, uh, recalling what uh, Pat Troughton had told Peter Davison before he took on the role of the doctor, um, to do it not more than three years, 
considering what had happened with uh, the the 18 uh, months break, Colin Baker uh, uh, not being permitted to renew his contract, and uh, eventually the cancellation uh, after um, after season 26. Uh, would um, would you probably have thought about convincing Peter Davison to stay on for a fourth year? Uh, well, I did attempt to persuade Peter to stay on um, after he'd completed three years. Um, uh, you know, I think I think the decision that uh, the optimum period for a doctor being three years is one that has been made subsequently to Peter's time. Um, I think everybody at the BBC. Um, myself, the head of drama, and, and uh, perhaps even the controller of BBC One, wanted Peter to stay on. And I did attempt, indeed, to persuade him to do so. Um, if that had happened, I think those questions are extremely difficult to, to answer. What if? Um, one thing I know is that I really wish that I had uh, moved on earlier, um, because I feel to some extent, although every actor who plays the part gets labelled... Um, to a certain degree by the fact that they played the leading role in the world's longest running science fiction series. I think as the producer of the show for 11 years, it's really um, labelled me rather more than I would like because I don't see my future being totally concerned with science fiction. I actually see my career having a much broader um, uh, kind of canvas, really. Um, so uh, I think in terms of people moving on, maybe I should have gone a little earlier. Well, look on the bright side. At least, if you want to, if you want to come to the states, you always have a place to stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there is that. Yes, there, there is that indeed. Yes. Um, Colin Baker uh, is one still for conversation. The current joke running that all of his episodes could probably fit half a half a season uh, with the way Doctor Who was being made in the sixties. Um, knowing that your firm and your decision by picking him, considering all that happened uh, with his show. And considering that, uh, at least the, from the official story, that the show was taken off for a year and a half because of the excessive violence during his first full season, uh, can uh, can you say that uh, you've had some desires to change the violence factor in in, in his first year, uh, lo- looking back at it? Um, well, I, I think I have to kind of pick you up there and say that I don't think it's ever been said it was taken off for 18 months because it was too violent. I think the real reason it was taken off um, it was basically because they needed um, a sufficient amount of money to um, require the cancellation of many, many shows. Doctor Who was just one of them. In order to achieve daytime television, which you know then was quite a novelty for the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, on the BBC, and it was an attempt to uh, suddenly uh, demand this money because the BBC wished to pull forward their launch date because the independent companies were pulling forward theirs. So there was this sudden and uh, dramatic uh, attempt at cancelling a whole range of shows and using the money for the daytime television. So that was the reason, uh, or certainly the reason I was always given, as to why it was rested. Now, as for Colin's contribution, I actually think he got a tremendously raw deal in that um, he did one season, then there was the hiatus, then we came back, and when we came back, we were only 14 episodes, and I think they were in a slightly longer format. Um, and then it was decided that you know that we should move on and have a new doctor. I actually think that Colin never really was allowed to get his teeth into the part. I think uh, perhaps most people would agree with me that 
the first season of virtually every Doctor is really a very tentative one. The actor trying desperately to find the way to play the part, which after all is very, very thinly sketched as a part. And, and coming to terms with the amount of themselves that's required to um, be injected into the, the uh, portrayal. Um, so I really feel that, that Colin, maybe if there hadn't been that hiatus, would have got straight into a slightly higher gear that would have, you know, given him the opportunity to mature his role. And um, as I say, consequently, I feel he had rather a raw deal. Well, the record from, from this interviewer's point of view, I think Colin gave his best. And uh, I, I, not to be biased, but I, I agree with you in, in certain respects. He, he did, pardon my, pardon my French, get screwed. And uh, he, he did very well with, with, with the resources he, that he could have. Um, and considering from, from what I understood, you mentioned daytime television. That, that wouldn't probably suggest that Doctor Who was just put off a bit to make way for EastEnders, would it? It, it wasn't put off a bit to make way for what? EastEnders. Um, no, I don't think we were, were put off to, to make way for EastEnders. Um, EastEnders, or, or the twice-weekly soap opera, had been on the cards for several years. I think uh, that where Doctor Who got involved with EastEnders initially was the fact that after we were moved uh, from our traditional Saturday evening slot to a twice-weekly slot, um, each year we were on different days. One, one year would be Monday, Wednesday, another year would be Monday, Tuesday, and so on. And apart from doubling our audience um, during this time, which was a significant indication that those early evening drama slots could work, I think that what we were, were doing were, was really rehearsing which of the two evenings of the week would be ideal for a soap opera yet to be named, which turned out to be Sanders. And oddly enough, you know, the whole thing has sort of come full circle mm. in that um, this weekend there has been shown in Britain a, uh, a, a celebration of the 30th, 30th anniversary of Doctor Who combining the uh, program Doctor Who and EastEnders. The TARDIS actually arrives in, in London um, and, and gets embroiled with characters from EastEnders um, in a two-part mini-adventure. And it's also in 3D, a very exciting new technology that I don't think we've seen the end of. And the story features all five living doctors, 12 of the companions, a multitude of characters from EastEnders. I'm sure the people who watch EastEnders, they'll be their favorite in it somewhere, even if it's just as a walk-on. And uh, a multitude of monsters, um, something like 20 different monsters. And I think that... Um, in a way, there's a certain irony that there we were rehearsing the slot for EastEnders, which is now, incidentally, as of last week, the most popular show on British television in positions number one and two. It's actually finally beaten Coronation Street. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> I was going to talk with you about uh, what, what the American fans are, are beginning to call the halftime without a Super Bowl. Uh, in, in regards to this uh, this program, this, this 12-minute thing in, in 3D. Yeah. Um, but since you've already beaten, uh, beaten me uh, at the bush in regards to that, I, I appreciate the information. Um, but speaking of Bush, uh, Bonnie Langford, who played Me Melanie Bush, was, uh, uh, to, to more or less express a joke, uh, from what I understood, was practically responsible for, uh, for Alexei Sales' career success, uh, being the butt of his jokes on television and whatnot. But, but fans wanted to know, if the selection of Bonnie was, was more or less influenced by the BBC to, to keep the show in check when it returned, 
uh, because Bonnie, uh, I, I understood, had a big, uh, big following with, with the children, I think, doing Cracker Jack. I think the name of the show was called. Or, or was it more a matter of uh, uh, calming down the front office from Doctor Who's point of view? No, you, you've got a lot of misinformation there. Um, I don't think Bonnie has ever appeared on, on Cracker Jack. My apologies on that. Um, Cracker Jack was actually a, a program that was cancelled when Doctor Who was rested in 1985, okay. and Cracker Jack never came back. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think Bonnie was ever involved with that. I cast Bonnie, it was my idea, and the reason I cast her was I thought that she was right for the part. Um, I also thought that in returning um, to the show, uh, bringing in somebody who already had a name as a companion would also help in terms of pu publicity to, to um, you know, refresh people's memory and, and to keep the show in, in uh, high profile. So I take full responsibility for that. It was not a, a popular decision um, with many of the fans in Britain. But I think one's got to keep the, the perspective of, of fans with a small F and fans with a big F. <laughs> fans with a big F who are members of the Appreciation Society mm -hmm. in Britain, total two and a half thousand people. Um, and, you know, over the years, um, for instance, when we were doing that twice weekly, we were getting ten and a half million people. Mm -hmm. So I think one's got to view the comments of the fans, you know, in context. Speaking of which, I know a fan favorite as of late, had been Sophie Aldred. Sophie had uh, told me uh, when I interviewed her uh, uh, about 10 days ago that she um, she did not audition for the part of A. She uh, went to see Chris Clow, who was directing Dragonfire, and uh, then she went uh, to you for uh, the final approval. And then she went back to Chris Clow, and then she found out that you had just selected her um, uh, in a way that uh, required no no test reading, uh, uh, really no auditions whatsoever. Um and she told me that she more or less owes uh, owes uh, owes her career success to you because uh, she says if it weren't for you she wouldn't more or less be doing what she's doing right now. And yes, it was, it was a weird situation in a way in that um, uh, at the end of that season there were two stories, um, both of which featured a possible ongoing character. Um, there was a young girl in the story Dragonfire, and there was a young girl in the story Delta and the Bannermen. And the script editor, Andrew Cartmell, and I couldn't decide which one we should end the season on. And so consequently, the casting of both these girls involved my office in a very major way, because uh, whichever one went out last would possibly hold the key to staying on in the show as a companion. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I'm delighted that it was Ace. Uh, I, I, I certainly don't think that Sophie was right for the other part. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying she couldn't have played it, but I don't think she was right for it. She was always much writer for Ace, and I think that the, um, the combination of Ace with Doctor Number 7, Sylvester McCoy, is probably one of the most successful combinations in the show's entire history. A lot of fans will wholeheartedly agree on that. How, how does one know? Where the chemistry exists in a great Doctor Companion team. How does one know uh, where the chemistry exists? I, I, I think it, it has to be a kind of, you know, if you could sort of bottle that kind of chemistry, you know, one would be the next multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. I think that it, it, it is very much a kind of instinctive chemistry that happens between two people who are working together and something additional gels um, in front of the camera. Um, 
and something that, that I think, um, you know, is particularly uh, applaudable in, in the work that Sophie and to do. On to the future now with uh, the new adventures, which uh, Virgin Books is uh, doing very well with on both coasts. Um, how is your liking to the novels in the treatment of the characters? Um, I, I have to confess that I only have limited uh, knowledge of those new adventures. Um, not now being the, the kind of resident Doctor Who producer, although I've just guested on this uh, Children in Need thing that I was talking about earlier. Um, I find some of the things that have, that have developed that I have read slightly uh, odd. Um, you know, but then I'm a sweet old-fashioned thing hankering after my old days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's right that the show should develop, so I'm not knocking what uh, Peter Darwin Evans is doing with the books. Um, I think it does need to, to go forward, but I think it would be preferable that the development of, of characters, the development of situations, the development of the whole premise of the show, I think it would be infinitely preferable if that was done on television first mm-hmm. rather than um, in a literary fashion first. Sophie Aldra told me that um, she didn't like the idea of, of uh, Ace uh, being a warmonger in, in these books. And uh, she had wanted to uh, see her more as a pacifist like the Doctor, but, but then again she, she admitted that she hasn't even read the books yet. So, um, so you, you, so basically, I take it a lot of people involved with the show really, uh, really don't know how things have turned out because they haven't, uh, they haven't taken a look at the texts. Uh, fortunately, not have the time, I guess. <laughs> Your participation with the video releases, which is something that you've, uh, that you've more or less uh, gotten involved with uh, after the after the cancellation. I, I can't say that word truthfully because I, I have optimism that's coming back. But um, did that somehow convince the BBC that they didn't really need to make a new series, that they can just go ahead and sell the re- uh, sell rehashed stories or, or missing episodes, tie up the loose ends and just uh, make a buck, and, and, and that's the way things are going to be? Um, well, I think that, that's a very simplistic view, if I may say so. I, I, I think that inevitably there is a buck to be made, mm-hmm. um, but you don't have to be a great mathematician to work out that um, those bucks are going to run out in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United Kingdom, they release 12 full stories a year, usually plus three specials, um, specials being, you know, an unfinished story or a, a mini-documentary about mm-hmm. the Daleks. Well, you know, that is a hell of a lot of, of material, um, and it's been doing that for several years, and I don't think it'll be many years before those video releases run out. I know that you get them slightly slower over here in the States, so it, it would hang on longer, but I, I really don't think that anyone thinks that's a, um, a substitute uh, you know, for making new product. When the show comes back, how would you like to see it? I uh, have actually sort of said in print and, and uh, in a documentary that goes out tonight, um, in the UK, that I see this children meeting as my absolute sort of farewell to Doctor Who. Um, although it's only 12 minutes, um, <laughs> it has brought together every single living Doctor, all of them in costume, um, all of them recording material specifically for this, rather than material that was left over from a junk story or something. And it's brought back so many of the companions and, and so many of my old team that I really feel that's the end of Doctor Who for me. 
Um, what I think it needs for the future is a new team with new ideas um, and a whole new aegis that will take the show forward into the next century. John Nathan Turner was spot on there right at the end. And we got it in 1996 with uh, Philip Siegel with the TV video movie. And then again, currently, with uh, Russell T. Davies heading up the program with the current series. That was from 1993, December 1993. Uh, once again, thank you, um, all those involved. Obviously, JNT and Joe Reynolds. Yeah, cheers. Okay, we'll be right back with your feedback. So don't go away. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Hoovers. Written and produced by Esco on the Podshock forms known as The Bachelor. Entry number 080506.03. Subject, Plastic People. Plastic people can be found in everyday life. Although they are human, they seem artificial. They obsess over the material world and desire little more than the acquisition of more material goods. They lose touch with what really matters in life and are instead guided like mindless automatic people waiting to be told what to buy and how to spend their money. Which leads us to the Autons, another kind of plastic person. These people are literally made of plastic and also exhibit little free will. Instead of following the single consciousness of commercialism, they are governed by the single consciousness of the Nestine. It is another cosmic coincidence that both types of plastic people can usually be found frequenting large department stores. The Autons often show up in the form of shop mannequins, displaying very overpriced apparel that the human plastic people desire. The Doctor has encountered the Nestine and the Autons on more than one occasion, but their first attempt to conquer the Earth has been largely overlooked, mostly forgotten, and generally regarded as a bad move. It was known as the Christmas Invasion of 65, but unfortunately, the Nestine failed to take that pesky little thing known as scale into consideration. Sadly, their vast armies of action figures and baby dolls were severely overpowered by the children of Earth on Christmas morning, and by Boxing Day, the Nestine were utterly defeated. But they would return. This has been the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Hoovers. Please leave your runs and comments at myspace.com slash guide to the Hoovers, or send them to us at guide to the Hoovers at gmail.com. And until next time, don't panic. The opinions and references found here in this commentary in no way adhere to the laws and physics of the real universe, nor do they reflect the opinions and views of the proprietors of this podcast. But please, thank them anyway.
we're back with Doctor Who Podshock. So, as Lewis mentioned, we're in the feedback section now, and we've had a couple of, of, of audio feedbacks, which we'll get onto them for a moment. But I just want to, I forgot to mention this earlier in the news segment, and uh, I'll have posted something up on the website about it, but I forgot to mention our uh, contest that we're running, which uh, you'll remember in last week we, we ran uh, a very interesting uh, mashup that someone sent us in. It still yeah. hasn't uh, been claimed by anyone. Though we did get some more information about that. <laughs> Thanks we to Taras. Thank you so much yeah. for shedding some light on it, that it was actually from a song uh, called... Um, um, Warm, Warm Leatherette, yeah, by yeah, originally yeah. done by The Normal, and it was covered by Grace Jones and other artists as well over yeah. the years. I find it ironic because I usually wear warm leatherette, leatherette. while <laughs> recording the show. Yeah. I suspected that. <laughs> oh my! So, but um, yes. Anyway, so uh, whoever sent that, um, if you care to elaborate more on that, feel free to send us another piece of feedback. But um, but thank you once again, Taras. But now, as James is saying, this is a great opportunity to create a Doctor Who Podshock mashup promo. And um, if it's a uh, within a minute long, and it has it mentions the particulars of the podcast, and um, if you want to, you know, get a taste of what our, our previous promos are, they're available on our website. On the right hand side, there's a um, there's two promos that you can listen to. The the first one. <laughs> you might want to skip, but uh, yeah, that was done way back when we were working with uh, stone knives with... and bearskins. Exactly, <laughs> very very primitive. But uh, the second, the second one, one's really did... cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So um, so, so yeah, you can win a uh, well, the one that it's not really a contest per se. It's but we will show our appreciation to the one that that all three of us like the best by um, by. With a gift of a little eye gift, if you will, of an iPod Nano. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nano. Yeah, that's right. So it's a a great uh, reason for you guys to get out there and get talented and send us some stuff in. So I, I'm sorry, I just wanted to to mention that before we got into the feedback, because this is kind of feedbacky, because you can send us your submissions, of course, to feedback at podshock.net. But uh, in the meantime, we have some terrific feedback, uh, and I'll take you over to to Lewis to. To play the audio stuff. So okay, take well, away, Lewis. First is um, a regular uh, personnel feedback is that Neil guy, although we haven't heard from him recently. It's good to hear from him again. Uh, he's also um, very prominent on our forums. He had some comments about Shadow since we mentioned um, in a previous podcast recently about Shadow and in, in correlation with um, this poor Cornell story being redone. I had mentioned that Shadow has been done twice over. So um, actually... Um, it was available on video cassette um, with Tom Baker doing narrating the the um, the missing bits and um, anyway so th- then Big Finish did it with um, Paul McGann. This is Neil's uh, take on it. Howdy, Podshock. This is that Neil guy uh, calling in. Um, and uh, a recent uh, I'm listening to one of the recent episodes and. The- comment was made about, uh, in passing, about Shada, and uh, it reminded me of a thought I had had, and, you know, where else am I going to share these kind of random thoughts except with uh, you guys? Um, so anyway, I, I, we know that Russell T. Davis is not a fan of multi-doctor stories, but you know that we all really want a multi-doctor story, and it occurred to me, taking a cue from 
the original Star Trek uh, episode, The Menagerie, and uh, the Deep Space Nine episode where they went back to the trouble with Tribble. Um, you see where I'm going here? Uh, we can have the current Doctor, um, maybe even through flashbacks or something, tell the story of Shada using whatever existing footage is there. I haven't seen it. I don't really even know the story. But uh, I'm sure through uh, technology you could, you could tweak the old video to, to kind of tone it down from that old video quality to bring it to look more like the film quality that, that we have now. Anyway, you could interact. You, you could show an adventure uh, of him in his uh, scarf-wearing days. Uh, you wouldn't even have to hire Tom Baker. You already got the footage. Um, anyway, just thought I'd share. Um, okay, ta-ta. Cool. Yeah, I, the only, I, it's a great idea. I just think that we've really run our course with Shada at this well, point. Between... Yeah, but you and I may say uh, that that's because true. we've seen it You're at right. conventions and we've seen it on videotape. But if someone today wants to go out and buy Shada, unless and you actually... go to eBay and, you know, you're not, you, you, like Neil hasn't even seen the footage, you know, so... Time... Hmm. Tying a great old story together, May of 1986, Who Vent 86 in, in New Jersey. John Nathan Turner, who we you know, had the late John Nathan Turner, uh, a, a record, an interview recorded with him from years ago on the show today. John Nathan Turner brought, for the first time to the United States, brought the raw footage of Shada to Who Vent 86 and brought a copy of the script. Mm. And at midnight on Saturday night, showed the footage in its rawest form and sat and read the, you know, we the had these, this, this missing bits. The text was on screen and he just kind of assembled it together. We brought that to Hooven 86. And uh, I sat through the whole thing. And it was, it was at that time, it was absolutely amazing. It took forever to sit and read the missing scenes. And, 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 and later, then, the, course, then what followed after that were these grainy bootleg videotapes of it. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> no, none of us would. <laughs> of course, of course not. Yeah. And from from uh, alternate sources. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, th- and then we were delighted that Tom Baker came back and there was an official release on um, on VHS format. And But, you know, it would be great to see the story. It would be. I think Neil has a great idea and a, and a good suggestion because it would not only... Um, bring this get an official wide audience release of this story, which really it's never been shown to my knowledge uh, on the BBC and mm-hmm. um, audiences that have never seen it or or have listened to the Big Finish audio drama of it or um, or been to a convention can finally see this story and 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 also will tie in the new series with with the established series and um, and as Neil said with today's technology. It probably can be incorporated. Probably can you know be meshed together and made to make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I just think that um, it, I, Russell T Davies has really taken uh, a stance of moving forward and, and not really touching any of the footage from you know prior to his uh, tenure as producer. It's a gr- it's a great idea. Don't. It is a very and cool I, idea. I also think. My initial reaction, which is that just Shada is available between the big finish. Um, they did the. So we're also talking about animation. They did the animated webcast. Oh of yeah, Shada that's right. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
so I just think that there's there's a, enough uh, there are numerous sources of shot of material for those who are curious about it. Um, but a great idea in that, that menagerie style of flashbacks and and so on. Plus, it would be a way of getting um, some Douglas Adams material into the uh, into the current show. But um, wishful thinking. I, I well, in, in that same I, line I of would thinking, sure. if. They could actually, if they really were determined enough, and I doubt this would ever happen, but they, they could even um, bring some lost stories to life by um, doing that same method. You would have to kind of colorize the lost footage and <laughs> all that, but um, it, it could be done. Mm-hmm. That's what great. That's what's great about Doctor Who. It, it's it's a format that really lends itself to all the speculation, and even if none of this materializes, it's still fun to kind of speculate on the possibilities. Well, absolutely. Uh, if this if this was a a show that was a western, let's say, or or a police drama. None of this would make any sense, but because mm-hmm. it's science fiction and <laughs> fantasy, you could do any of this and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, it, thinking, just reminiscing for a second, Lewis, uh, about Shada. Uh, it would just, it just, it's about time that we we mentioned our our old friend, the late Rob Westman, who uh, used to be a very active member of the Gallifrey Embassy mm-hmm. some twenty yes. years ago. Who sat and read the entire script at a meeting once with some of that um, uh, yeah. source material? Do you remember going way back? We mm. what through through various means acquired a video copy of Shada, the, the very same one that was shown. I forgot um, about that. And then he, we got ourselves a photocopy of the very same script, and he proceeded to sit and read all the parts at a meeting, and we did the like a recreation of the yeah, Who he, event version. He, he acted the parts out with this voice. <laughs> yeah, a, few, a few parts actually acted out. But uh, our, our old friend, uh, Rob Westman, he, we, we lost him a few years ago. And, and so it was nice that I had a chance to mention his name on the podcast. Uh, he is very missed. Yes, very deeply missed. Well, moving right, along. What else do we have? <laughs> to our next um, piece of feedback. This is um, Eric and Augusta um, Georgia, and he's gonna whip me with a wet noodle if I don't pronounce Augusta and other names right. This is um, <laughs> this is Eric. Hi, this is Eric and Augusta. Uh, I gotta tell you guys, I love the the pod show. Uh, I, I know uh, a lot of people are saying get a short it, but you know, I just think it's awesome. But one thing I I could ask is, Lewis, please, please, please. Look at the word that has the a. It has an a at the end of it, and, and it's not an er, not Canada, not Sofer, not Oklahoma. And Donner is one of the the reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh, not necessarily the character from Runaway Bride. I know that's picky because the show's so awesome, but man, you're killing me out here. Hope you guys had had a great holidays. Bye. Lewis, uh, Lewis definitely has a very distinctive New York accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mean it's not Donner, the the, the reindeer that was um, in the Runaway Bride? I saw her nose light up on a few occasions. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, that's, it's, it's part of the show. <laughs> Me fumbling along the, the the words as I am right now. So um, no, I, I it's fair enough, and I'll try to endeavor to. Uh, hey, Shada, I was saying Shada, not Shada. So. <laughs> I was saying Shada, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to you on that. So, um, 
And and Eric, I just have to say, it's Doctor Who Pachak, not Pacho. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm fueling the fire, <laughs> fueling the fire. Okay, it's all right. It's it's um, you know, it's it's I I <laughs> let's embrace the love here. No, it's it's fine. And and Eric um not only sent us that uh, um audio feedback, but he followed it up with um with an, with an email as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, um, so are you going to read it? If I had it queued up, yes. I'll read it then. <laughs> he, says, <laughs> he says, hi guys, this is Eric is. from Augusta. My wife just told me my call on Sunday evening was mean. Lewis, I hope I didn't offend. I just started listening to the podcast about two months ago and ended up going back and getting every episode iTunes had available. And now I am caught up. I just couldn't stop laughing during the review of Runaway Bride when you would say Donna because of the other holiday con uh, connotation that name holds. Let's see you hold a straight face picturing a reindeer in a wedding dress. Thanks for all you do in putting out such an enjoyable and informative podcast. Best regards, Eric. You see, that's, he's such a nice guy. He even goes and apologizes if he offended you. Liz. No, I, yeah, I think you should do the same. I, I, <laughs> I do apologize. I, I, but no, seriously, I wasn't offended. And Eric, I, I hope you're... You were not offended either. I'm just yeah. It's all good fun, isn't yes. it? It's all good fun. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who take the the, the Mickey out of uh, of my accent when they're walking down the street and someone told you I did that. Things think. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I heard it through the grapevine. I'm sorry, James. No, no, no. That's all right. Uh, I, I'm my own worst critic, believe me. <laughs> and I have to edit the show, so I cringe at myself all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we have some more uh, email feedback, and uh, here's uh, one from a guy named Bill, and he says, uh, this probably doesn't answer the question raised recently on your podcast, but I've created a, a spreadsheet showing how long each actor has portrayed the Doctor. The problem, of course, is that just shows the first and last days of filming, not taking into account how many episodes were produced during that time. I've also excluded the two Doctors, the three Doctors, the five Doctors, and for Sylvester McCoy, the TV movie. Congratulations on, partner, on the partnership with our post Gallifrey, Bill Evans. And he has a... a Evanson. A, attached... Evanson, sorry. I can't, I can't read today. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't speak. You can't read. <laughs> We're crippled. Ken, Ken, do you have I any... I saw it off my finger long ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But he's he's uh, attached a, a very nice uh, a spreadsheet uh, showing uh, the length of each uh, actor it's played, the age of the actor, and he's even calculated averages. So um, the the uh, average age of the doctor uh, is forty two years, I think, if you round it up, mm -hmm. and the average length is two point nine years that they've played the doctor for. So uh, there you are. So, um, I was almost actually, three, I years. three years. Almost three years, yeah. yeah. Uh, if, uh, to take that a step further, a few years back, I actually calculated screen minutes for Doctor. And it's not, this is not a joke. I'm not, I'm not messing with them. I actually sat down because I was curious to see, um, you know, everybody says, oh, Colin Baker was in it for a short amount of time, but he, ha he actually had a pretty decent amount of episodes. And then back in the old days, in the black and white days with Hartnell and Troughton, they did... The show wasn't, the seasons were almost the full year. So even though they, they were three seasons, they actually mm -hmm. had more screen time. So mm -hmm. there, I, had to, I was trying to make the comparison. 
uh, between modern doctors and the classic doctors. And so I, I chose to use actual minutes, also because you had 25, 23 minute episodes, 50, 45 minutes. There were variations yeah, in length varied, of yeah, Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and cheers for the the uh, the thinking behind that was that Paul McGann really had less than sixty minutes of screen time as the Doctor, mm-hmm. considering that McCoy was in the movie, you know, for the first twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting point. You never think about it like that because uh, you know if you think of uh, uh, the Eighth Doctor, you could you could. Con, uh, contrast that with that he would be the longest running doctor because technically you know there was a long period of time between when yeah, from uh, 1996 to, to 2005 when Christopher Eccleston yeah. came on board yeah so uh, it it there it swings in roundabouts there's two sides to every coin but anyway so uh, moving on to the final email of the day this is one that was actually just sent to me and it's very kind from a gentleman called Aaron, who actually runs a terrific website called Torchwood.tv. If you've never been there, that was something that I was using a lot in it's the It's the, the premier to... Torchwood website, as far as I'm concerned. It is. Yeah, it is. It's very good. And it was the website that I used in sort of the run-up to Torchwood uh, with all the rumors and everything and, and, and just insights into the series. It's very, very cool. Anyway, he said, James... I just wanted to drop you a quick note supporting the Podshock show in general and specifically cheer you on for your comments this week, episode 63, against pseudoscience and the bullshit that is intelligent design. (laughs) As an elementary school teacher in the US, I do what I can to support critical thinking with kids and work against nonsense. So, very, very cool. This is a guy... uh, on sort of the forefront of education, even though it's 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 even though it's an elementary level, I think it's quite important to to teach kids from a very young age, um, you know, to move away from all this rubbish that is so tempting these days in, in modern society. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, he says also as the owner stroke founder of the site Torchwood.tv, thanks for ma- mentioning the page on previous shows. No problem. It's a a, a brilliant. Um, website and I, I really do suggest people check it out. It's like I said, it's if you want Torchwood information, go no further. That's where it's all at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he just rounds it off by saying thanks for the great podcast, uh, the good show and the recent comments. So cheers, Aaron. That's great. And it's uh, it's nice to know that uh, there are people out there who uh, who agree with what I'm saying. I'm not just kind of uh, yes. talking and rubbish. And please stick to your guns. There are plenty of people who are going to come down on you for that. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think it's important, and uh, the people who, who disagree really don't know what they're talking about. But anyway, that's my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably say that, otherwise we'll have loads of people, angry people writing into the show saying, you don't know what you're talking about, shut up. <laughs> but anyway. anyway. Wow, so I guess that wraps it up for a show. Well, I, I do want to remind our listeners that if you, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, um, there's a donation button on our website, gallifrandmc.org or podshock.net. And that I didn't know helps. it was a pledge drive this week. <laughs> yes, it's, a, we are, it's um, pledge week. It's pledge week. And you'll win, and for a X amount of donation, you'll get this handy-dandy mug that, uh, never mind. But seriously, um, there are costs involved with putting out the show, and um, you know we do appreciate um, 
any you know we, we basically we you know contribute to the show's expense you know through our own digging into our own pockets and um and we'll continue to do that but um it also many people in the past have made contributions it, and, it, and it, even it's it, just a small amount of a few dollars yeah, yes it absolutely. does help and thank yeah. you so much those that have and um and um and, and those that are thinking about it um we well thank you in advance yeah <laughs> terrific and also, i mean uh, it's a not... quick reminder that you also have a chance if you'd like to pick up some swag there's a us and a uk store for podjock t-shirts and sweatshirts it it does help the show as well because there's um we do get a couple dollars when you buy a um clothing item or one of the pieces of merchandise and also just your way of showing the world that you are a Doctor Who fan and a Podshock fan and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, great. And once again, send in, to send in your feedback, it go no further than emailing to feedback at podshock.net and, but better yet, we want to hear you, so um, call the Podshock public Call box at 206-888-4WHO. And that translates to 206-888-4946. It's a U.S. call. Remember that. So, um, But feel free to leave us your messages there. Or if you like to do it over the Internet, you can use Skype or Gizmo and leave a message to Podshock. Just, that's, the, that's the address, Podshock, one word, and that will get to us. Uh, you can also email us your recorded feedback as well. And the address is the same, feedback at podshock.net. So we want to hear from you and what you have to say. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps everything up. Cheers for listening. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you guys soon. Wow, we made a short show today. Short yeah. show. <laughs> keep those fans out there happy who demand the shorter shows. <laughs> Wait, I haven't edited yet. I'm going to... Head it up. <laughs> this is gonna be like a three-hour epic. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey, Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net Goodbye, my dear chap. I must say, I've had the time of my life.